Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Pig Health Today, and with me is Dr. Jim Lowe. He is a veterinarian for Lowe Consulting and also an associate professor at the University of Illinois. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Joe. Glad to be here. You've been doing a lot of work with the movement of cull sows. This is probably a, an issue that a lot of people haven't given much thought to. What prompted you to take a hard look at this? Well, it really started with PED in 14. It doesn't seem seems like it was yesterday, but we did a project with Pork Board and uh, ASV and NPPC, and we asked a question. I got to quarterback a group of veterinarians. We went to seven packing plants, mm -hmm. and we said, what is the risk of a truck being contaminated with PED at the packing plant? We were trying to understand mm -hmm. how did PED move around, and so we pulled that out and, and not surprisingly, if a truck went into the packing plant and it unloaded after a truck that was positive, it was high risk of being contaminated. So we could document that there was transmission of disease at the packing plant. So that was, there'd been some work done in Sue Rabies a blue moon ago, um, and, but nobody really looked at that with modern diseases. And so that became kind of a key point. So then we started asking and thinking about some other questions. So we've done some projects with Pork Board about how does it physically get transferred at the plant? And then recently, you know, we've had some Seneca Valley virus appearing in the U.S. and so it started to circulate. And Seneca Valley is a virus that causes blisters uh, around the nose and the coronary band on the foot. And the problem with Seneca Valley is it's not a big deal for the pig, but Seneca Valley looks just like foot and mouth disease or classical swine fever. So it looks like a foreign animal disease. So we have to go investigate that. So one of the things that was identified in Seneca Valley was is that we don't see a lot of breaks in farms, but they were seeing positive um, sows that were appearing at the harvest plants in the cull sow market. Huh. And so we start asking some questions and generally, and we said, okay, so these farm sows are negative when they leave the farm, yet they have lesions when they show up at the plant, and USDA was having to trace all those back and say, yep, there's nothing going on at the farm. They're having to do full foreign animal disease investigation. So that's a problem, right? I mean, there's, there's a hassle to that. And so uh, the Swine Health Information Center, which is funded by Pork Board, and Paul Sundberg runs that, they're really, their mission is to deal with these, how do we deal with foreign animal disease? How do we deal with emerging disease issues? And so we'd worked with Paul on the previous two projects when he was at Pork Board. And so Paul came back and said, hey, Jim, I know you guys have thought a lot about packing plants and trucks. Could you think about looking at the coal sow markets for us and help us understand what happens in the coal sow market? And so we said, sure, we'll have a crack at that. But what's unique about the coal sow market that the Swine Health Information Center and you wanted to focus on that? So there's a couple of things that are interesting. One, we know very little about the marketing channels for cull sows or market hogs in this country, right? I mean, we, we don't really understand where the pigs originate, where do they show up. And the big change when we went to uh, voluntary premise ID, which has basically become mandatory premise ID today, so the federal premise ID number, that's getting put, you know, right, sows have to be sold with that in the rear, market hogs, it has to be on the bill of lading when it shows up. So we actually have that data today, we just don't capture it. Mm -hmm. So for the first time now, we could describe the market. But the difference is, is that in, in, if we think about market hogs or fat hogs, they tend to get leave the farm, they get on a truck, they go to the plant. That truck either goes back through a truck wash or just goes straight back to the farm to pick up another load. Now we know there's risk because we know that those trucks sometimes go from farm one to packing plant to farm two or from system one to system two. So there's disease transmission risk there, but 
cold south are a bit different, right? We think we try to protect our sow farm health, and so we tend to wash the trucks coming back to the sow farm. But that coal sows don't typically move direct to a plant, so they go to a collection point, a buying station. Mm -hmm. So leave the farm, go to a buying station, and then at that buying station, those sows are sorted by weight and kind, and they're sent to multiple packing plants. And that's to optimize the value, right? So that's helped the whole chain. Now sometimes to make a load, I've got to move sows between buying station one and buying station two, collection point one and collection point two, so I can get the right load to the right packer at the right time. Or sometimes I don't offload them, but I'm taking the truck with sows on it between them. So if you think about it, there's two networks. I've got a sow farm network with trucks, and then I've got a buying station network mm. with a packing plant. So this, right? So I've got two disease transmission networks. And so the question was, are sows in that process, Seneca Valley takes about three days to develop, are sows being exposed from the time they leave the farm until they get to the packing plant? And what does that look like and what risk implications does that have? So we just set out to describe that a bit. And, and the problem is they bring it to the packing plant. I mean, that's clearly their last stop. But why does that become a disease transmission issue for other swine in the system? So it, uh, it truly qualifies as an annoyance right now. It's an annoyance in that we're using massive amounts of resources to do the tracebacks. But that itself probably doesn't um, prove that we're going to have a disease transmission risk there. The, the risk is, is that if we understood how sows move, how does that help us understand if we truly have a foreign animal disease introduced into this country? What does the marketing network look like? And where do I need to stop movements so I don't drag the disease all over the place? That's one of the questions we wanted to ask because it's a, probably a national market and it's, it looks very different than what uh, the market is on the, on the fat hook side. So have there been any surprises in this? I mean, how you're learning things about sow movement that either you didn't know or simply didn't consider before? So I don't, I don't know if we've learned anything. We probably have quantified what we kind of suspected. So there's been a committee that uh, Schick has put together that's worked on this pretty hard. Uh, there have been uh, packer representatives in there, some um, um, hog buyer representatives, certainly producers at the table and veterinarians. And so it's been a good discussion to help describe that. And, and that group has produced a white paper that um, it does a kind of a casual observation of this, right? I mean, it it's very descriptive and that's been helpful. Um, but what we learned is, what we did is, I should tell you what we did, because that'd be a bit helpful here. So we went to the plant and our goal was to describe for a week's worth of slaughter, where did those sows come from? And then could we describe what the movements were from the time they left the farm to the time they made the backing plant? So we didn't get that done. So we did get the sows at slaughter. You did not get that done. No, we didn't get that done. So we, we did get the sows at slaughter. And so we could figure out which farms they came from, from that premise ID. So we knew their farm of origin, we knew the state of origin, and we could figure out which buying station they came from last. So we knew how far, we knew how far they went from the farm to the collection point and from the collection point to the packing plant. But the movements in the middle of there, we can't track down and that's because it's still a paper-based system. Mm -hmm. So we didn't capture that. So that's a learning point, right? That we've got some work to do if we really want to do rapid traceback because we can't describe that. But what we did discover is, is that when we looked at the sows and we looked at a couple thousand individual sows and traced those back to the farms, it was about 300 sow farms that those originated from, which is pretty staggering. Uh, so like less than 10 sows a farm that showed up. 
Uh, they came from 21 states in one packing plant in one week. So we have a national market that has very small lot sizes, right? Which is what you'd expect. A 2,500 cell farm is going to sell 25 cows a week. You're going to get split multiple ways. Sure. It all makes sense, right? So we've got little groups coming from a lot of places all the way across this country showing up in a packing plant. Now, about 86% of those sows went from a farm to a local buying station, so a relatively close buying station, and then, went, then came to the packing plant. But about 14% of those sows traveled a really long distance, several hundred kilometers, from their source farm to the buying station, which doesn't make sense, right? So we think there's some percentage of those sows, and we know that, and we're estimating at 14%, that are being, those are the sows that are moving between buying stations because they're trying to make loads up to get those animals to come in. So that's right, okay, so there's, we know that percentage now, at least a crude estimate of it. And there's about two and a half percent of those that move five times as far from the sow farm to the buying station as they did from the buying station to the plant. Wow. So somewhere between two and a half and 14% of those sows are trading within that thing on a weekly basis. That's not bad, that's just a fact. That, the industry's made a lot of money off of that, so we need to think about that. But that's helped us say, okay, that tells us something about the complexity, and it looks very different than the fat hog market. So we have to think about it differently. And now that you realize how complex it is, I mean, how does the industry go about tackling this problem? So the, we, we've talked to regulators. So we've, we've had some meetings with, with um, both FSIS and USDA, uh, APHIS, um, and they're interested in how many state lines do they cross. So the average sow crosses like three state lines getting to market, from farm to market. And so that's a concern, right? And so the idea, the big take home out of this so far is if we have a foot and mouth disease break in one state, it's likely to be everywhere based on call south movements within a very short period of time. So stopping movement, um, if we just say, because I live in Illinois, if we stop movement in Illinois, that may have already impacted a whole bunch of other things that we think about how these animals move. And so it's gonna help them shape and think. We need to collect a bunch more data. One of the real challenges was we physically took the tags out of their ears and then went back and wrote those Prem ID numbers down by hand, keyed them into a spreadsheet by hand. So you can do that on a couple thousand. We probably need tens of thousands to make that work. And so we're working now on a camera to take a picture of those and it's some really cool tech. So it's a, it's a video camera that'll snap a picture of the tag and then there's some um, fancy software that actually Google uses to figure out house numbers when they do uh, Google Street View. So they made that publicly available. So we've got a, um, uh, an engineer that's helped adapt that. And so now we can take that tag and pull that Prim ID off automatically. So they're working through how do you build the right camera to put that in the plant. So we'll beta test that here in the next two or three weeks. The software works, we've got to get the hardware to work, and we should be in good shape. So now we can go into a plant and capture lots and lots and lots of data, because we know, based on experience, that we looked at one week in the spring, that this week may not look like the next week, and Christmas may not look like July. Right. And so that's the work we've got to do. So we've got a primitive deal. This is a proof of concept. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. but. To really get an accurate description of the network, we've got to do some more data collection, and that's where we're forging ahead now. And, and it sounds like the focus is really on data collection at this point, not restricting sow movements in any abs way. Abs absolutely. The goal is not. It's, it's, the goal is actually the opposite to how do we collect the data so that we can help inform our regulator friends 
about the right move, about the right decisions. Because you can make a wrong decision on a stop movement. You can make it worse. Mm -hmm. and, and so what we're saying is, no, 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 you don't have enough information to really make good decisions on stop movements. If we have a foreign animal disease, let's help inform that so you can make that decision. How do we apply big data, right? This is another big data problem. How do we go apply big data and engineer the system so we're not making irrational decisions? We're going to measure it, and then we're going to model it. And so when they go to fix it, they at least know what they're doing before we get to the fix spot. Now, from what you've said, it sounds like you still have a lot of work to do, but this is something that would need to be implemented pretty quickly. What kind of timeline are you looking at so that this can become a solution? Um, well, all things are incremental, right? It's continuous improvement, and that's actually how we're looking at it. So how do we continue to pull data out? I don't view that it's a... Um, we collect the data, we make some big decision, and they move forward. That's not what practically is going to happen, because every time something changes, um, every time something changes in the system, you're going to have to change your response. And so how do we help the industry measure this on an, in, on an ongoing basis, start to assess risk? And there's a lot of smart people who can help us assess risk besides us. How do we get that data available so that when that risk assessment can be made, that we can adapt and improve over time. And, and again, it's, a, it's a, let's just make it a little better today than it was yesterday. And I think that's our, whole, that's our whole strategy. It's not, there's some magic wand we're gonna pull out of the hat and fix this. It's a and system and we gotta massage it. And in the interim, what can producers do to try to stop the flow of these diseases uh, to the buying stations or to the? Uh, nothing, nothing. Nothing. Yeah, and this is about preparedness, I think, more than doing something today. Mm -hmm. And so how, how do we think and know and, um, right, the old joke is PhDs aim, 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 and they never pull the trigger, and veterinarians have shot the gun 43 times and have no idea what they shot at. <laughs> and so we got to get somewhere in the middle of that, right, and say, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we really think like an engineer about these things and, and try to engineer a solution, not just say, oh, we're going to go stick a Band-Aid on it tomorrow and hope that uh, the, the system will outthink us fairly quickly all by itself. Well, it's a complex problem, and it sounds like they've got the right guy on it. So uh, wish you luck with your research. Thanks very much, Joe. We've been talking to Jim Lowe. He is a veterinarian for Lowe Consulting and also an associate professor at the University of Illinois. Jim, thank you again. Thanks, Joe.